Hey everybody, how's it going? Thanks for joining me this afternoon. I've got a great stream with some great guests that I think you're really going to enjoy. We got some very interesting news. We've seen the steady advance of the Rainbow Coalition, an interesting rise in the numbers there. And a new study is telling us now that one in four high schoolers are now identifying as some form of LGBTQ. We're going to get into that here. Joining me today is the Prudentialist. Thanks for having me on again. Absolutely. And from new founding, Logan Hall. Thank you so much. I, uh, I love the intro. No, absolutely. I'm glad you uh, uh, were able to come back. Had you a while back, uh, but glad you're able to join us once again. So we're just going to go ahead and jump right into it, guys. As many of you might have heard, a study from the CDC is now showing that almost one quarter, it's like 24.5% of high schoolers are now uh, identifying as, again, some form of LGBTQ. The breakdown, I believe, have it here, it's 12% uh, as bisexual, 5.2% as questioning, 3.9% as other, and then 3.2% as gay or lesbian. Uh, also, 1.8% said they didn't understand the question, which I really appreciate there. Um, but it's very interesting, of course, because we have seen this number grow and grow over the years. It went from 11% back in, or I think it's 2015, 2016, all the way up to now this, uh, this quarter, this 25% number that we're seeing. And this data is from 2021. Now, of course, we know that the idea was supposed to be that this was born this way, right? That this, this is something that's an immutable characteristic. It's just like being, well, male or female, which I guess is no longer supposed to be an immutable characteristic. In fact, funny enough, it seems like the only biologically uh, can, uh, immutable characteristic now is race. You can't be Rachel Dolezal. You can't be a trans black woman, but you can, you know, change change everything else about you. But of course, the story about this was this, this is always supposed to be something that was changing or that was unchangeable. And that was why everyone kind of had to accept it because this is just a biological fact in board and people. Now we see this incredibly steady rise prudentialist. I don't think there's a lot of surprise here for many of us, but what, what do you think about this, uh, this sudden, you know, doubling or more than doubling of the teenagers identifying like this in just five, six years? Yeah, I'm glad that you sort of prefaced that with a surprise bit. I feel like every time I come on, I say something along the lines of I'm not surprised anymore. Right. Uh, no, I, I think that this is a predictable response when we see the broader culture and legal incentives provided to identify a certain way. And that when we provide social incentives and agreeableness and welcome towards certain types of groups and they disparage others, that you want to flock towards the way to identify them. And I think it kind of is convenient that there is sort of this dysgenic and an unfortunate identity that is out there for people to adopt to or fling and cling on to in the midst of widespread sort of racial animosity towards white individuals and so what gives them a better way out than to identify in some form or fashion under the rainbow coalition that way they have their own form of minority and protected status and can rank up there on quote unquote the oppression olympics as they used to say and they have a way to get out of it and when it's in schools, when it's in public libraries, when there's parades and holidays and things at local government that support it, 
Uh, the incentives are going to tell young people who respond to incentives the most, especially because their brains aren't as developed, by all means, identify this way, engage in these kind of risky behaviors, and you will be rewarded both legally, socially, and potentially with employment or spokesperson type jobs that we see with individuals like Dylan Mulvaney and the rest. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because uh, somebody coined the phrase today, uh, white identity flight, uh, which I think is is pretty good way to kind of sum this up. You got a lot of white progressives out there and they all know that you're not, that's not good. That's, you're not supposed to do that. You're one of the evil people. You're one of the bad people. Original sin uh, baked right into your skin color and that's going to put you on the bottom of that progressive stack. So if you're a good liberal and you need to find a way to elevate yourself, I mean, you, you just don't want to sit around being the, the the oppressor class you've got to find some way to identify as as one of the holy ones and so what do you do well i mean you're not allowed to change your race now rachel dalzell has, has shown us that so what do you do well you, you identify as you know some form of bisexual or you know uh, uh uh you know pansexual or you know some some kind of uh, reassignment of your gender that doesn't require too much commitment hopefully maybe you just get to you know, color your hair differently, you know, wear, wear uh, you know, some androgynous clothing. And all of a sudden, you're right back in the mix. You're at the top. You've climbed the social ladder and uh, you can once again, uh, you know, have a role of leadership in kind of the progressive stack. Logan, what's going on with the storyline here, though, right? Like we know, again, this was supposed to be something that was innate. And all of a sudden, it's something that everyone seems to be able to adopt. What happened to that storyline? They just discard it. They don't need it anymore. Is there is there some kind of underlying explanation? Well, uh, things certainly happen fast, don't they? Uh, what's interesting from the study is that, you know, it's about 25%, one in four that identify as something other than heterosexual. Uh, but in the data, it said only about 6% max uh, had actually had sexual experiences with someone uh, of their same sex. So that means there's 19% that's just using this as a status symbol, like, like he said, uh, it, people respond to incentives. And um, the funny thing is, you know, they swear that uh, it's just, oh, they're born this way, we have to do it. But then every single, every single part of our culture is geared towards making sure that it's not a, it's not really a, a nature argument, right? It's a nurture thing. They're trying to propagandized from the highest levels of government, from media, from culture, uh, you get rewarded for this identity symbol. And the funniest thing is now you see, you're starting to see some backlash with, oh, LGB without the T, uh, whatever else. Uh, the rainbow flag is starting to eclipse uh, the, all the new, all the new identities that they have ginned up now are starting to eclipse the original rainbow. So there's like, uh, there's all these different symbols and, and, uh, it's starting to almost to look like just one giant blob for all these different identities to come under. And, uh, it, it's very interesting to see how quickly we've gone from that original, you know, 20 years ago you had Hillary Clinton and Obama making arguments against all of this stuff. And now it seems like every day from the white house press briefing room, they're bragging about their latest LGBT initiatives. And it seems like the only thing they really talk about. So, uh, it, it certainly has, this revolution has eaten up, uh, the government and our culture, and it's probably not going to stop anytime soon. So, 
Yeah, I, I wouldn't be the first to uh, point out that you know the the new flag of the empire is very very clearly that constantly mutating one that you're referencing there. Some some new ideology, some new subgroup, some uh, you know a little square or circle or something that has to get shoved into it every you know six months. You got the great thing is it's it's great for flag sales, right? Like the there it's a it's an economic stimulus package. You know every you got to swap out every every embassy needs a brand new flag every six months as you add the next group. You know if you're if you're not flying the you know the LGBTQ plus flag over Somalia, are you even America at this point? And so uh, and so uh, you you can kind of make sure that those uh, flag manufacturers stay in business, probably in China, but you know uh, it's. <laughs> But uh, that said, I'm glad that you dug into the data there because I was going to bring that up too. It's very revealing, right? It's very revealing to the types of incentives that Prudentialist was talking about there. We've got the the, uh, the number of, you know, this uh, this 24.5% that say they've, uh, they've identified as LGBTQ. But if you look into the numbers, so, you know, the vast majority of high schoolers still not having, you know, sex at this point. But 34.6 have had some kind of sexual contact with the opposite sex, so heterosexual sexual contact. Only 6% say that they've had any contact with both sexes. And only 2.4% say they've only had contact with the same sex. Okay, yeah, so my data was off there. Well, no, you're, you're right. 6% says is with both, but only 2.4% is with only one. Which means six percent are having some kind of bisexual contact, but only two point four percent are having completely gay, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, homosexual contact. Which means that that two point four percent is roughly close to what most p accurate estimates look at as the actual gay population. So funny enough, if you drill down into the data, we can see that the revealed uh, behavior is the same it hasn't changed only about 2.4 percent are still manifesting actively homosexuality but 25 percent want to be seen as this identity right which again just just speaks to prudentialist and, and his point about incentives there now uh prudentialist you did an excellent thread on the political implications of this data when you did this thread funny enough it was it was really prescient because it was just before this study came out and we already knew this trend was coming so you kind of saw a, a, a lot of this but you talked about what this means politically what this data means and how it affects the electoral map can you talk a little bit about that absolutely so one of the things that really stuck out to me was actually the 2022 midterm elections because regardless of the results um there was a report by Politico in October of 2022 that had said, um, according to the Human Rights Campaign and Bowling Green State University in Kentucky, based on the data from the U.S. Census Bureau, they find that by 2030, approximately one in seven voters will be LGBTQ. The researchers expect that that share will grow to nearly as one in five by 2040. So these sort of cultural political issues that we see are not going away anytime soon. It is a classic style of political patronage. Some might call it selectorate theory, where we see individuals who want to get elected or maintain power have to cater to certain groups in order to maintain that power. And so these sort of wedge issues about whether or not a man can be a woman or that, you know, the, the bathroom issues like we were seeing even beforehand in 2014 and 2015, these things are only going to continue as this widespread amount of people are responding to incentives. 
And the thing is, is that it's not going to just affect sort of the, the traditional, you know, stock of America's political voters. It's not going to just affect white voters or black voters. It's going to affect everyone that comes in here. I mean, there was a recent study that had indicated that most Muslims inside of the United States have relatively pro-gay attitudes, which is, you know, the cornerstone of the exact opposite of what they may have been in the old country. And so what we're seeing now is, is that with this growing population, whether they are actually committing homosexual acts or not, illustrates that, you know, you can create this sense of immediacy, the sense of danger. Um, you know, back in 2012, you know, 20 plus years or 10 plus years ago, um, you saw that Vice President Joe Biden would tell black voters that Mitt Romney and Paul Ryan were going to put black people back in chains. And now that sort of same sense of immediacy can now be used with sort of a genocidal attitude. There's a new trans victim or a new black trans individual murdered, despite the fact that they are a very small number of the murders overall. And this leads to people overestimating how important this issue is or how many of them are actually a part of the United States population. And it gets reinforced in the culture. I mean, we went from less than a decade between the original series run of Will and Grace to the beginning of I Am Jazz on TLC and the cultural revolution that came in in around 2012-2014. And so everything that we're seeing here is totally changing the nature of how ordinary people engage. Mary Harrington has a great book about you know, feminism against progress, talking about this cyborg theocracy where we can just interchange our parts here and there. People are going to see these as serious political issues with patronage networks, with millions of dollars going into NGOs, and even not millions more going into social engineering that's been going around since the days of, you know, Wilfred Bayon and the Tavistock Institute. So this is going to have a long-standing impact on how whatever form of democracy survives in this country, it'll play a large role in that for the decades to come. Yeah, it's a really powerful strategy, right? You incentivize this identity, you you assign this identity, and even though most of these people aren't acting on this identity, they're not actually living it out in any significant or meaningful way, they still see it as something that is existential for them because it is what has given them their uniqueness, right? This is your personality, this is your identity, this is your consumer base, this is your friend group. And so it becomes something that must be defeated. And when you have one side that is the absolute champion of this at every opportunity, and the other side that is, let's be honest, desperately attempting to play some kind of catch up on this issue and provide no real counter narrative to it, then you end up in a situation where you're just infinitely driving the bus with a section of the electorate that can always be expanded at any time. Logan, what does the right do with this? I mean, it feels like they're, the, the left is on a just another level. They are socially engineering. I mean, we already know open borders, that kind of thing. The, the, the Democratic Party is very aware of the need to select their voters and manufacture their voters in any way possible. But I don't think Republicans and the GOP, the right in general, are even familiar with a level of social engineering going on here, much less how to combat this in a democratic environment. Uh, 100%. Yes, I agree with uh, Prudentialist. This is, uh, it's just, I mean, it's very advanced coalition building. Um, the funny thing that you realize, uh, not really in red states like Florida or Texas, but when you're in DC, and I know this from experience, uh, having lived there for three years, uh, when you see a lot of the Republican think tanks and their staffers on the Hill, uh, 
it's kind of this trope, like they're almost gayer than the Democrats, at least in D.C., because Republicans are just so desperate to not be labeled uh, some hate, some hateful bigot or some sort of whatever phobe is the next thing uh, that they preemptively try to self-select these people so that they can shield themselves from these criticisms that they're so afraid of in the media. So, uh, yeah, you're right. They're completely out of touch, uh, but they don't really have an answer to this either because they kind of just shift uh, the way the wind blows. And it's obvious that uh, this ideology has pretty much, I mean, it's kind of like that photo that I know you've said this Oren, before, but it's kind of like you've kind of been conquered by this ideology. That's what our entire foreign policy is based around now. Democracy is basically just a uh, uh, filler word for bringing, uh, bringing homosexuality or transgenderism to all the different corners of the world. And a lot of Republicans, uh, their interests are aligned in such a way that, yeah, they might personally oppose it, but they're not going to oppose let's say the media in any real effective way or uh, the foreign policy establishment in any real effective way. So if you're not prepared to take on those things, you're really not going to be prepared to take on this ideology. And what do you think, Prudentius? I mean, uh, obviously you're laying out the uh, the electoral consequences here, but what about the social engineering at this point? I mean, is there any approach that kind of break, break this stranglehold? What are the centers of this social engineering that is incentivizing this behavior, what do people on the right need to be aware of that is kind of driving this identity and its kind of installation in the minds of young people? Well, it's pretty darn pervasive to, to say the least. I think what would be important for anyone to realize whether they're say under 30, such as myself, or you know parents that are wanting to know how on earth they're gonna raise their kids in this mess is, is that for right now, what we have seen is, is that it is almost pretty ubiquitous in respects to the online media culture. Uh, you know, we've seen sort of what would be called like the mainstream of Tumblr being, you know, put out in every form of social media, Twitter, Reddit, etc. And that you have to be rather vigilant. We cannot be those kind of parents that you might see at a Walmart or any other kind of grocery store where they give their kids the phone instead of, you know, interacting with them. Um, I think that that sort of unsupervised access is certainly there alongside of sort of reintroducing the fact that, you know, not everybody out there wishes to do well for you. I mean, we were talking about this before we went live, but, you know, everything that we've discussed on the right on this sort of issue goes back to a lot of complaints that Phyllis Shafley made. You know, she was concerned about the Equal Rights Amendment affecting women's sports and athletics. She claimed in 1975 that uh, liberals would want to put men into women's sports. And lo and behold, that has definitely become true. And the same way that she had called it out quite clearly, like this isn't something that breeds normally, that's recruited and we provide incentives to do so. So being aware of what media openly supports this and celebrates these kind of uh, secular homosexual holy days or uh, making sure that your kids are aware of the fact that there are places that you don't want to go to. I mean, if you're a parent out there listening and your child is a Reddit user, I would be very concerned if they're on a place called Egg IRL, which basically is to promote grooming and indoctrination into people thinking that they're transgender. These things are very pernicious. And if the number of individuals that have made life altering consequences are now regretting their decisions and speaking out against it, um, parents should be increasingly concerned about that. And I think that that's something that, you know, ordinary people can do. But from a legislative standpoint, I think that really needs to be said that 
when a place like Florida says that if you're going to molest a child or engage in sexual acts with a minor, uh, that that's liable for the death penalty as they're proposed with their new law. And to see the outrage that this is, uh, quote unquote, sort of transgenocide or LGBT violence, it really does uh, raise the important question, what on earth are you so concerned about trying to molest or be around young children anyways? And so um, it, I think just a good common rational sense of judgment that if someone looks like they shouldn't be near your child, keep your child away from them. Yeah, the the old, uh, you know, uh, uh, battle Stranger beagle. danger, uh, is, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> like that. Yeah, no, it's a, the old the old battle beagle question. You know, don't don't ask why uh, kids want to see drag queens. Ask why drag queens want audience of kids. Yeah, mm-hmm. no. So so Logan, obviously we had this controversy around the phrase groomer, right? Like this was the the left lost their mind as this became a a, a phrase that was used regularly. Uh, even people on the right said you can't use this. It's it's too aggressive. Blah blah blah. There was a huge snapback to this. I mean, when you look at this data, what, 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 it's hard to come to other conclusions, right? Like I, I've seen some people defend this, you know, some of the stories that were written on this, because of course, all these stories are celebratory, right? We have the, the celebration parallax. You're allowed to notice as long as you're celebrating. But if you notice and you disagree, then, well, there's a conspiracy theory and you're a hateful bigot. But but some of them had said, oh, well, well, really, you know, a quarter of the population was always LGBTQ. And this and this is just un- allowed them, uh, you know, to suddenly realize that. Do, do you think all first graders, a quarter of all first graders uh, were, were LGBTQ this whole time or was something else involved? Uh, yeah, I, definitely touching on what Prudentialist said there. Uh, I think it's important that people on the right realize that this movement, they don't have children. They rely on converting yours. So that's number one. Uh, you can't you can't just you, people on the right need to recognize that. And uh, number two is like, well, yeah, they they uh, they enacted their their they did the death penalty thing in Florida for pedophiles. And then suddenly the gay pride parade was canceled. What what's going on there? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> but but. Uh, yeah, I think I think it's it's very actually not just the CDC study, but there's a really good Axios chart showing by generation the amount of people who identify. And I posted this multiple times before, but uh, it's very shocking. And you show this to I remember showing this to my grandma and she just couldn't believe it. I mean, uh, so I don't think the populations have changed. Uh, I think it's probably, you, as you said, uh, toward the beginning of the show, it's probably around the same percentage that it was back then. Uh, but now we've decided to not just encourage it, but obviously reward it. And so people are, you know, young kids are learning that this is good and you're going to get a step up in the corporate world uh, or in the government. And that's, you know, you don't even have to call it grooming. You can just call it encouraging and rewarding the identity and but either way, yes, that's what it is at the end of the day. Yeah, and the, again, you know, this is why I think the term social engineering is something that the right has to grasp. It really needs to get this. The left, so 
democracy is not a fair system okay democracy is not just where everybody gets together and you know they the what are the best ideas we'll sort them out in the marketplace and once the best ideas have been selected the enlightened population will vote for the things that they most love and then those things will be enacted by the government that has been selected guys i'm sorry that's just not how anything works here okay the democrats are aware that the best thing that you can do is to create the type of voters who will select the things you want shape the opinions shape the population shape the identity of that population and its predilections and then make sure that those things are all ideologically aligned with your goals they understand this at a very fundamental level and if you're still trying to play politics by you know making sure that the facts don't care about your feelings and bring in the debate club like you're gonna lose like you're gonna get trounced it's it, every time it drives me nuts i just see people say oh well this stuff isn't popular this stuff isn't this isn't what the people want like who cares when has that ever mattered if you watch the just unbroken string of victories that the trans movement has put up in like three years despite being incredibly unpopular in every way and you still believe that popular sovereignty dictates politics in your country i don't know what to tell you like i'm sorry but you gotta get it together and the right has to grasp this as long as democracy as long as voting is what drives our political system you got to get in the game and the game right now is social engineering it's making sure that the electorate is interested and defined by the policies and the issues that you want to advance that means you got to have a game where you are able to set the agenda where you are able to drive the incentives where you are able to define the the ideology the phrasing the framing and the identity that is going to drive votes and if you're not doing that you're just not even in the ball game. You, you can complain about Bud Light all you want, but this is where the action is, okay? As both of these gentlemen have pointed out, these people who don't actually act, these kids who don't actually act out these identities have adopted them for a reason, because they bring manifest benefits, because there's a patronage relationship, because there's an identity that these people are holding to, that they understand creates benefits because they're delivered by a specific political party and a specific political movement. And if your group isn't doing this and another group is, if your side isn't doing this and the other side is, you're just going to get blown out of the water every single time. It's a joke. You got, you got to be able to figure this out. And if you don't, you deserve to lose. If you cannot get on board with this, if you can't figure this out, if you are not able to keep pace with this, then you're going to get blown out and you deserve to because you simply refuse to understand the nature of the con of the contest it's just insane that said uh, i wanted to point out the other uh really uh disgusting thing that has happened here recently which is the doj the doj is now challenging tennessee's law and its ability to restrict the medical transition it's it's just mutilation of minors inside its borders so Tennessee, according to the Department of Justice, does not have the right to restrict the surgical abuse and mutilation of children 
because it violates their 14th Amendment right. That's that's correct, guys. It's the Civil Rights Revolution. The Civil Rights Revolution says that you cannot protect children inside your state, that your state, that your children have a civil right to mutilation by a medical professional. And so it is the it's the equal protection clause, the most dangerous thing ever placed in the Constitution, uh, the, the the most blank check ever written to a to the total state. Uh, that is inside the 14th Amendment that is now being cited by the DOJ. Uh, Logan, you sent this to me first when you saw it. What do you think about this? Uh, well, I think it would be who it would behoove of conservatives to realize that the old Constitution is pretty much dead and gone. I mean, aside from maybe the Second Amendment and some First Amendment liberties, uh, it's pretty much dead and gone. I think uh, the way that we could effectively combat some of this is if we use civil rights law for our own purposes. Uh, now, maybe you, you might disagree with that, Oren. I don't know. Uh, but I think at least one of them would be like having digital rights. What Elon has done on Twitter, uh, you used to be able to get suspended on a whim just for calling a biological man a man. Uh, so I think one thing conservatives can do is push hard for uh, platform access as a, as a civil digital right after this technological re revolution. Um, I think another thing we need to get better at, kind of going back to your point, Aaron, is we've got to get a lot better at uh, our own propaganda. And then we have to get a lot better at um, our own sort of organizing. So this is, you know, this is something that this is one of our missions at New Founding. But like you said, uh, popular, popular sovereignty isn't really a thing. This is an organized, a very, very organized and unrelenting minority on the left that's pushing this and that is uh, controlling their party with this movement. And so I think uh, one of the things the right can do is you're going to have to get a lot better at organizing. And you have to, you also have to know that this is not going to let up. Uh, if you, even if you just saw the, the mass shooter at the school in Nashville, the trans mass shooter that left a manifesto and then uh, zero, zero media uh, wondering why that happened or asking questions about the killer's motives uh, to simultaneously a couple days later, they are celebrating this national trans day of visibility. Uh, like it, that trans people are the greatest thing that have ever happened to them. And that would be okay because I know that they're, they're going to do this regardless if they wouldn't have just completely ignored the mass shooting or celebrated the murder of Christian children. Uh, right. But they did that right after. And so that was, uh, that should be a, 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 an awakening for people on the right to what we're up against here. Yeah. It, it's, it's absolutely insane that this comes on the heels of the violence by a trans shooter in Tennessee. Like this is very clearly timed right after this right so we have we have uh someone who goes in and th th let's be clear like uh you know to, to, to just go go further logan they the media it's not that they didn't ask why the trans shooter did this they immediately ascribed motive to the shooter and they approved of it right like they immediately came out and said tennessee passed this law and this is why basically like you deserved this like mm -hmm. you earned this because you did that. And the, the, the media was unashamed to immediately come out and attack Tennessee and other states 
who would protect children in this way and say, you earned this because of your actions here. So it's even worse. Like, like it, it would be one thing if they hadn't even focused on, you know, if they just did the gun control two-step where they're like, oh, you know, let's not focus on the identity of the shooter. Let's not focus on the motivation. We got to ban all the whatever, whatever, whatever. But that's not even what they did. They directly leaned into the identity of the shooter. They celebrated the identity of the shooter. They justified the motives. They had the glowing story, story I think, of the Daily Mirror talking about how the, the shooter could have been a children's artist and uh, you know, had, had whimsical displays of you know, uh, uh, children in their art and this kind of things. They, they celebrated this person. They celebrated their cause. Madonna you know, planned a, a concert to raise money in Nashville for the, for the group of the shooter, not the people who were shot. Like they, they celebrated everything about this identity and to cap this off with the fact that they're going to go ahead and then attack the very law itself, the very protection itself in the state where the shooting just happened is insane. And by the way, since everyone has forgotten this, just going to remind people, there was another trans shooter who was planning to shoot up a middle school and churches who was caught, I believe in Colorado Springs before that happened. So this was not some isolated incident. But the media, again, because that shooting didn't happen, oh, just disappeared. You know, oh, but, uh, you know, the, these two things are completely unconnected. No, nothing to worry about with this ideology. The only thing you need to worry about is that somewhere an 11-year-old can't get carved up by a doctor uh, to create irrevocable harm. And uh, that, that's the thing that you absolutely have to be worried about. Now, Prudentialist, I have been warning for a long time, and I've been I'm not been alone. There are many people who have been warning about this, that the civil rights revolution would pair up with the trans ideology to become the vector that would attack attack the family that would be the way in which the total state would break up families which would punish regime punish regime enemies which would show parents and you know strip them of custody if they did not comply with uh, the regime's understanding of gender and by going through and assigning these identities to these children young it guarantees that this civil rights conflict exists right and so we not only have a growing voting base that exists like you were talking about because of this application of identity but we actually have a legally actionable movement of civil rights that is then able to strip away parental custody and parental protect protection this becomes a direct attack on families and it starts by challenging the protection that is created in states like Tennessee. Yeah, absolutely. And we've also noticed that the language that is being used is very much to work within that sort of 14th Amendment and also civil rights framework um, when they talk about that no ch- no parent has a right to their children as if they were property. They're, they're speaking in sort of an abolitionist-esque language there. And it's very illustrative that I don't care what 8,000 plan you have to end wokeness unless it addresses the legal framework of the Civil Rights Act and the revolution around it. You will not succeed at any frame of reference. Does that mean that they're going to call it, you know, the right wing racist or conservatives racist as they have for the last, I don't know, as long as I've been alive, if not longer? Um, it's time to recognize that these are the things that you're going to have to deal with. Um, and of course, this means that if they can find ways to legally extradite your child who identifies XYZ way in order to get them out of your hands and arrest you for protesting, just as they have before, 
by sicking the DOJ and the FBI on parents that protested about having pornographic material in elementary and middle schools, they will most likely do it. And we've already seen that where states like California have declared themselves as a transgender sanctuary state, the same way that they are with immigration, the same way they are with all other kinds of lawlessness. This is encouraged and subsidized by the state. And we have to keep several other things in mind as well on these issues. This is that, yeah, those two trans, you know, shooters, one was stopped, one unfortunately massacred, a, you know, six people, three of them children under the age of 10. It is illustrative of that this is more or less endorsed and if not incentivized by the state. And that this isn't a place where you can run off to Idaho or Montana and be safe. In fact, in Des Moines, Iowa, yeah, Iowa, I think it's or Idaho, one of the two, um, they had an Antifa group with weapons, you know, spawn up out of nowhere in a red state to defend um, a drag queen story hour sort of deal. And so it's really illustrative of the fact that this isn't something that you can run off to. This is a ubiquitous thing that you're going to have to face. And as you famously have said on Twitter and countless other times, Oren, uh, the side that wants to win will always beat the side that wants to be left alone. And so the right really does need to catch up with this because it's basically acting as if we are a, a Polish, you know, bicycle rifle brigade compared to like the Blitzkrieg that's about to come in 1939. And we're not prepared for it. Um, I think a big issue that lies therein is the fact that a lot of our propaganda outlets, a lot of our media, um, whether that be, say, like Newsmax or Townhall.com or even Fox News, right? The average viewer is like 68 years old. We tend to cater towards a older audience because that's the ones who typically have money to donate to political groups that tend to vote conservative. But that's left us completely without any sort of tool or engagement towards the young. And what tools we do have, whether that be, say, the YAF or uh, Turning Point USA, we're not focusing on these sort of mainstream cultural issues that those kids will go to college and recognize that a good chunk of their classmates inside of their dorms or in their auditorium lectures, they've got blue hair, they're overweight and identifying with Zs or pronouns, and they're not anything resembling a humane civil society. And it's encouraged. And so I think we need to seriously focus our attention on the youth. We need to seriously recognize that this has been a battle going on for quite some time and that it springboards off the last cultural revolution because the left is always in a state of perpetual revolution because it enables them to you know, secure more power. I mean, this is like Harry Hayes' last laugh, a man that marched in a gay pride parade and said that Nambla walks with him. And here we are now where kids are being openly supported by the state to go mutilate themselves and cause irreparable damage to their bodies, but also society. Yeah, it's not exactly rocket science here, but uh, I think it's really important too. In that thread you had, you talked about why, you know, some people on the right, especially kind of in our sphere, will decry some of this stuff. Oh, this is unimportant culture war stuff. It doesn't really matter. You should be focused on, and don't get me wrong, they're absolutely right. Immigration, like so much of the, that stuff is also critical. But I think they need to understand, due to the implications we've described here, how critical this issue is as well. Just like immigration, this, this uh, issue is transforming the identity of the electorate and the nation, is transforming our political process, it is transforming our laws. All of this stuff is being set down in stone as we speak and will be used down the road as a weapon 
of the regime to silence any kind of dissent, any kind of opposition. It's been made very clear that these opinions are not acceptable, that they will lose you your employment, that they will even possibly, you know, lose you your children, lose you your ability to have, to have protests or any of these things. And like you said, Prudentialist, you can't hide from this stuff. You know, we got Montana now, right, with the uh, the, the state representative it's been removed and you know it's only a matter of time before the doj finds some reason why that's a violation of civil rights and and has to step in and at some point we're just in a cartoonish uh scenario where none of the state legislatures have any authority because the civil rights of you know uh the newest lgbtq faction overrides all ability of any state to take any action whatsoever and so it, it becomes very clear that this is the agenda, that this is going to be a major vehicle for the transformation of the United States and the perpetual victory of progressivism. And if you're not addressing this, I mean, you look, guys, you got to find your courage here. I don't care. I get it. Like talking about the, the, the civil rights uh, revolution, that's scary, right? You're touching a third rail, but you got to like, there's just, there's no time left. You don't, you don't have time to sit around and, 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 you know, be scared about this. Like, this is really important. And the fact that this is very obviously a vehicle, I mean, we're literally looking at the Department of Justice filing this brief using exactly this language. This is not some scare tactic that someone's pushing from the far right. This is not some kind of crazy conspiracy theory being cooked up by MAGA or something somewhere. This is what's happening. This is the active route that's being deployed by the left as we speak. Now, the good news is I did see, for instance, like Chris Rufo recently say, Look, I'm not sure civil rights law is on our side here. Like, I'm not sure that we, we can even expect the Civil Rights Act to, for instance, protect white children from being taught that they're the devil, that they're evil inside. Like, the Civil Rights Act just doesn't seem to work for those people to protect them. And so I think there is some awareness growing that this is the vector of attack here and that it will continue along these lines. But I think people really need to become aware uh, that if you don't address this issue, if you get squishy on this, if you pretend like this isn't the way that things are going to move and this isn't the uh, the weapon that is being wielded by the left to ensure that they have electoral victory in perpetuity, then you just don't understand the way that your pro your political process is being transformed, your society is being transformed, and you really have to, to find the courage and the way to change that. But that said, we've got a few questions stacking up here, guys. Before we do... Uh, Logan, can you tell people where to find your excellent work, your Twitter, everything else? Yeah. Uh, so go follow me. It's, uh, at Logan Clark Hall and then, uh, uh, at new founding org. That's, uh, where, where you can find some of my other work, digital stuff too. So excellent. And Prudentialist, where can everybody find your excellent work? They can find me on YouTube, Twitter, uh, Telegram, Odyssey, Rumble, but all of my links are conveniently found at findmyfriends.net slash the Prudentialist. Yes, absolutely. And also make sure Prudentialist uh, made sure to remind me, uh, we have the Skildings events coming, coming up here in uh, Tennessee, and uh, I'll be speaking there. You'll have Dave the Distributist, you'll have Academic Agent, uh, you'll have Charlemagne. I believe you'll be there, right, Prudential? I will be there as well, yes. Excellent. It's later this June in Nashville, I think. You can just go to sealdings.com uh, slash events. Uh, tickets are still available. The link is in the description. Yeah, I've got the, the uh, link down there, guys. So if you need to get your tickets for that, you can show up there. All right, so let's go ahead and grab a few of our questions here. We have Lucifer, Lucifer the Doberman. Uh, not not Pitbull? Come on. Uh, for... for <laughs> 
for those who don't know, uh, 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 Prodigalist had a great, uh, made someone delete a, 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 a Pitbull uh, post here earlier on Twitter today. So that was entertaining. But anyway, he says, uh, for five Canadian, thank you very much. Uh, Libs of TikTok really showed the normies what's being promoted. Yeah, I mean, it really cannot be understated how important uh, Libs of TikTok was and uh, the work surrounding that. The fact that the Babylon Bee stepped up uh, with others and made it possible uh, for uh, Libs of TikTok to kind of become a full-time thing and make it uh, shareable to everybody is just really important. People simply didn't know what was going on. They didn't understand what was being taught in their schools. They didn't understand uh, how teachers were treating students, what was being pushed on them. Uh, and I think that's really essential. Uh, I, by the way, I wrote a piece this week about something called restorative justice, which is another woke Marxist uh, uh, infiltration of the school system, particularly uh, pertaining to the way that discipline is handled inside the school system. This stuff goes even deeper than you understand, guys. It's not just the ideology being taught to your kids. It's literally how the classroom is being managed. It's built into the structure of the very, uh, you know, suspensions, uh, you know, uh, those kind of things and how they're being handed out. And so if you want to understand more about that, you can check that out as well. I made a video about that, too, so you can watch that and better understand that. Uh, let's see. Got a few more here. Uh, livid Gandalf for $5. Defeating Notness will require a complete overtaking and denazification of the system. All efforts like those by DeSantis or TPOSA are super cringe. So, yeah, if you didn't catch this, um, during my stream with Curtis Yarvin, this was kind of his assertion about kind of what this would take. He said, okay, do you want to, do you want to force people to understand what's going on here? Do you want to change this by like direct action? then you basically have to have a system of denazification. And Paul Gottfried, famously, for those who don't know, uh, uh, said that basically that's what we have in the United States right now. Like denazification is basically like the driving impetus of our government. They, they view conservatives, right-wingers, uh, red staters as basically fascists. In fact, they just tell you that now. The, the, there's no game being played anymore. They, they, there's no hiding the ball here with different phrases. Uh, you know, Biden just comes out and calls you a fascist to your face, whatever. And so basically what we're going through right now is a left-wing denazification, a left-wing uh, and you know, a campaign to remove those that they call fascists from any kind of public life, to ban it, their way of life, to ban their participation in the political system, to basically criminalize political opposition that they deem to be fascist, which is literally all of it. And so, uh, you know, Curtis Yarvin said, if you want to do the, you know, the other thing, you, you know, do it the other way. That's the only way to do it. Uh, he, you know, his suggestion was seduction of the elites, uh, a term which I think has some, you know, uh, some ambiguity to it. I'm all, I, 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 it sounds great, but I'm always asking, okay, when does this happen? Uh, where does this happen? Uh, when is this actually occurring? I don't see a lot of seduction happening. I'm told that at some point a, a crew of dark elves will emerge and, and, and they will seduce our elites and they will transform all these blue elites who completely have devoted themselves to, tra to trans kids to suddenly becoming, I don't know, some kind of uh, you know, Bible Belt conservative. I'm a little, I'm a little skeptical. Uh, but uh, your point is, is made. Now, I will say that I think many of the efforts of Ron DeSantis are noteworthy. I think that they do matter. I still hold, um, you know, my contention that 
His talents are better used in Florida, if only because I'm here and I appreciate them. Um, but uh, but I don't think they're completely useless. However, um, they are insufficient in the long run. Uh, some some of them are test cases, and they're essential. You need those test cases if you're going to figure out how to take the next step. And so I, I think you should understand that not everything is a home run every time, and that's okay. But at the same time, uh, I do understand your point that they are insufficient uh, at, at this moment. Can I say uh, I know Livid Gandalf IRL, so shut <laughs> Shout out to Livid Gandalf. Yes. Is he that angry in real life? Oh, no, he's a great guy. Okay, good. <laughs> Though now I'm a little disappointed. I really wanted to see, like, just Gandalf, but screaming at someone, just throwing the pipe at, you know, at someone as they're you know, sitting on the porch there in the Shire. Uh, let's see. Uh, Creeper Weirdo here for $5. Thank you very much. Whenever I hear Normie say the culture war isn't real, I cringe every time. Do you guys hear that often? Yeah, I mean, it's not just Normies. I hear this from political professionals all the time. I hear this from people who are very high up and have, uh, you know, and, and have significant followings. There are even some people I respect who kind of, you know, downplay the importance of the culture war. Uh, but I just got to say they're dead wrong. Like, I get it. I, this is not what I want to talk about all the time. This is not where I want to spend uh, my focus. I, I would much rather be writing about, like, you know, some obscure political philosopher at any given moment. But it's very clear, like, this is the this is the vehicle, okay? This is, this is where the battle's at. And don't get me wrong, the battle is also... At open borders, the battle there there are many there are many different fronts, but it's very clear that this ideology is a vehicle that it is probably the primary vector by which the total state is collapsing any kind of hope of opposition. If you can convince a quarter of the population, even who aren't acting on any of these impulses, that these impulse that this identity is key to them and that it is a friend enemy distinction that it is key to their survival and that they have to support it at all costs that it's an existential threat to them if anyone questions their ability to transition a 12 year old then you're going to own the electoral map for the rest of however long that exists and you just if you don't get that if you're not grasping that if you don't get that this is just the same as letting millions of migrants cross your border every year then then you're not understanding you're not seeing the whole map and you really have to we, we again we just don't have time for people to not get this uh it's it's something that's happening right now it's already deeply ingrained and you got you got to grasp this if i could add in there real quick yeah. it's just a lot of people will say well why are you focusing on this issue when there are much larger ones at hand i mean a lot of these issues all go hand in hand these are yeah. not just one-offs that'll affect the other i mean Consider the fact that you're telling a large portion of Gen Z, which is like one in or what we just talked about one in five now, right, or even one in four for some, even if a large majority of them are not participating in those kind of acts, which are horrible as they are, they're still engaging in a dysgenic and antenatal behavior. Uh, we've encouraged for the last several generations now not to encourage in having children. Uh, most people don't view it as a duty to continue society. They just see it as a financial burden. They don't really care about the idea of having kids. You saw this with the abortion debate. And so when people aren't having children and policy planners are looking at this and say, oh, wow, well, the numbers must continue to go up. The economy must grow. Uh, line must go up. Well, I mean, that means that only encourages more unfettered immigration. All of these issues compound one another in a way that leads to the absolute desiccation of American culture, what this nation once was, because, you know, to Oren's idea of the total state, which he's excellently outlined in his substack, 
tells us that a lot of these guys really don't mind if they get to rule over a large economic zone, like, you know, they're the kings of the mall rats or whatever, because they're the ones in charge and they've effectively diluted all political power out of this. So uh, I would agree that, yeah, a lot of our youth outreach on the right is atrocious. That's why they kept looking for YouTubers and looking for alternatives and blogs and obscure books and texts, because what we do have right now is not effective. I mean, I've gone to, you know, those kinds of events and things like that when I was in college and I still found my way finding people like Ron Paul and others like him way more interesting than anything that was on there. So we, we do have to do better on that end, because if not, we are going to be completely unprepared, ready for the blitzkrieg of rainbow flags to run over us, and we need to be wanting to survive. I think another important, this is really, I'll be real, real quick, sorry. No, go for it. We got I think another reason why it, uh, it's important to realize these issues compound is because every day in the media, you see some sort of hit, some sort of piece that's about, oh, we need more uh, trans immigrants from Ukraine or something like that. That's three issues. So you have to support everything or you don't support any of it. And so that's how they, that's how the left compounds all of these issues into one thing. So you can argue about, oh, that's not really the culture war, but it is, they combine everything into it anyway. Yeah. It's really important to remember the intersectionality is what started all this, right? And it's a, it's a huge driver. The coalition is woven together by its contradictions as ridiculous as people might find any given piece of it, it all works together as a whole. And to ignore it and just wave it away is uh, ins insignificant because it's not the piece you want to focus on. I just think it, it's foolish in the long run. Yeah, I mean, we, we haven't ever recovered on the right from the, the intersectionality arguments. And that's where you see a lot of people that wouldn't even call themselves on the right are correct. I think that James Lindsay is correct, for instance, to focus on the intersectionality thing. But what bolsters that intersectional framework is the legal and governmental effects of that, whether it's the civil rights jurisprudence or the financial and political incentives to do so. And when you combine those two together, that's how we get what we see right here, where it's whether it's immigration, abortion or, you know, transing the kids. Those things are the perfect marriage of intersectional critical theorists and the civil rights regime framework. And you can't separate the two. You have to tackle both of them together. It can't be a one off. Yep. Uh, Lucifer the Doberman again here. Thank you very much. Incentives drive culture and I'm friended. Uh, yeah, no, I mean it, that he's right about that. It is absolutely the case that incentives are going to drive that, you know, the elite theory is that, uh, you know, your elites make your culture. Uh, as as uh, academic agent has said many times, uh, you know, culture is downstream from power. Uh, and so when a you rare have... Adam friended W. Yeah, he's, he's... <laughs> everybody gets one. Uh, but uh but yeah, it's, it is certainly the case that, uh, that this is what drives a lot of behavior. And so when you have a regime which manipulates the law, which manipulates outcomes and incentives to make sure that certain groups are favored, certain behaviors behavior are favored, certain ideologies are favored, then this is what you're going to get. Uh, Owen Zielinski here for $10. Hello, all. I'm a teacher at a small Catholic high school, and I like how Prude shares Substacks with his local government. Is there anyone I can share with uh, teachers, parents to help them resist and organize? So, oh, and that's a really good question and it can be somewhat difficult. So as a former teacher, I can tell you that it's very difficult for teachers to organize in this way because literally their jobs are pretty much predicated on their ability to kind of spout this nonsense, to spout this propaganda, to regurgitate it or they're just going to get fired. And so it's really hard for them to organize in a different way. I remember 
seeing uh, the the little uh, safe place, uh, uh, you know, uh, rain, rainbow creeping, you know, changing ideology flag uh, popping up in every window in a school. And it's kind of ludicrous because every place in that school is safe for LGBTQ, whatever. That it's it, they're celebrated. Like every moment of it is incentivized. So putting a sticker that says "safe place" on it was completely unnecessary. It's literally just watching the Havel's Green Grocer signs go up. You know, workers of the world unite in each classroom, knowing that if you don't have that sign up in your classroom, eventually someone's going to notice, and you'll be identified as an enemy of the state. So. Uh, it is very difficult, even in very based states, every, you know, red states, uh, for teachers to kind of organize against this stuff. Uh, one of the best things that can happen right now is the kind of movement that a person like, say, Corey DeAngelis is pushing, which is breaking students away from being tied to the system, making sure that the funding follows the student and not the system. Now, this is a really good move. Let me understand, let me explain for a second why this is so important, why this is such a good move. Normally, conservatives just say, get rid of the funding, just just get smaller government. Okay, great. But no one's going to stop paying for school, right? Like, people are going to want their kids to go to school. So rather than just saying, I, you know, I want to get rid of the institution, well, fantastic, but that's not happening. So what can we do? How can we get rid of the pipeline of money that's going directly to our political enemies and redirect it to people who will be our allies while also freeing children of having to go to these state, you know, manufactured prisons where they get taught woke ideology all day. Well, how do you do that? Break away the funding. Keep the the, the funding still happens, right? There, the taxes are still getting taken. The federal funding, the state taxes, everything is still getting the property taxes. They're all still going to education, but instead of going directly to the government school, the student can take it to a different school. They can take it to your small Catholic school. They can take it to your private school. And that can then make sure that teachers have a place where they can teach that is accordance with their values, that doesn't force them to teach this stuff, that doesn't force them to push these identities onto children. And so by this, you not only break the state monopoly on education and the state stranglehold on the funding, but you make sure that that funding doesn't just disappear into ether, doesn't just go into some other department's budget, doesn't just get shipped to democracy in Ukraine, but it actually goes to some place where a student is getting the kind of education, the kind of moral instruction, the kind of worldview that will make them more conservative, that will make them more right-wing, which will make them vote. You can engage in the thing the left does by understanding that you don't just blow up the power because you can't blow up the power, but instead you redirect the power to something that's gonna benefit you. And so I think, and benefit more importantly, the next generation and the children, right? This isn't just pure, it has the nice part of being politically useful, but more importantly, it's also morally correct and helps shape the next generation in a positive way. So I think if there, if, if you, there's one thing you could share among parents and teachers, if this is not a program that has already been instituted in your state, I would definitely be sharing this program because it's just a common sense way to break kids out of this ideology, to break teachers away from having to teach this ideology and allow parents to have the choice to put their students in a place where their values are gonna be taught and where they're not forced into this. Uh, there's also, of course, a whole lot else. I mean, you could you can share what I just wrote about restorative justice. So, uh, you know, uh, your parents understand better what's happening inside their schools. Uh, there's plenty of people like Chris Rufo who have great material on this. There's lots of avenues at this point. But I think that break between the funding of all of these state institutions 
and redirecting it to a places that give an alternative is probably the best thing you can do at this point. And, and, and oh. to contextualize real quick, I, I usually will print out, say, a Substack like yours or PG Keenan's, and I'll share them with like the county GOP chair and things like that. So people who are politically active are aware that there are different ways to look at things with respects to parenting culture and so on. Also run you or someone you trust uh, to uphold your values for local school board. That is seriously very important too. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone knows I'm not a huge fan of democracy, but if you're going to participate in it, <laughs> participate it at the local level where it matters, guys. Okay, I'm sorry, but Trump isn't the guy. DeSantis isn't the guy. One election isn't going to change this. You got a whole lot more work ahead of you. So if you're going to put all of your blood, sweat and tears into something, do it into something that matters, like Logan is talking about. Make sure that your local school board is impacted. Make sure your local sheriff cares about the Second Amendment. Make sure that your DAs are going to enforce the law. Make sure that your governor is not going to shut down your state next time the federal government decides that the sniffles mean that we should you know, completely end human, human civilization. These are the things that are really going to impact you. Don't get me wrong. I would love to see a massive top-down top change of the federal government. But that's probably just not in the cards right now. And at the moment, the best thing you can do if you're going to be involved is be involved like Logan's talking about in the local area where it's going to impact you. Or I can't believe you used to be a teacher. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's right up there next to journalist. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just say I have a resume of things that I'm not proud of, but, uh, but give me an insight into the process. So uh, hopefully they serve some kind of purpose. Uh, that said, uh, let's see. We got oh, we got one more that snuck in here. Uh, Daedalus for five dollars. Even if we're just uh, we're just pretending iron poisoning will ensure that the majority will still fall to the abyss anyway. This is a huge loss either way. I'm not quite sure what the reference is here. Maybe this is a good joke that I'm just not getting. Uh, but uh, uh, but that's <laughs> thanks for your super chat, man. We appreciate it. All right, guys. I think we got through everything there. Thanks for everybody for coming by. Had a great audience. A lot of very interesting questions. Of course, make sure that you're checking out everything that both of my guests, the Prudentialist and Logan Hall, are doing. And if this is your first time here, make sure that you go ahead and subscribe to the channel. And if you want to get these broadcasts as podcasts, make sure that you go ahead and go to your favorite podcast platform and you subscribe to The Oren McIntyre Show. When you do, go ahead and make sure that you give it a, a rating or a review. I know that things seems like a really small thing, not going to be a big deal, but it actually has a huge impact on ability for people to find things, all those metrics, all that algorithm stuff, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks for coming by, guys. And as always, I'll talk to you next time.